I can't so, think of any better way to spend my New Year's Eve than listening to the Back Pain Podcast. Listening to us for, I know exactly right. Welcome to the Back Pain Podcast with Rob and Dave, the only show geared specifically to help educate you about your back pain. We talk to the experts to bust the myths, break down the science, and give you all the top tips for living pain-free. So, if you're driving to work, tidy in the house, or even laid up at home in pain, we have something for everyone. Welcome back, podcast friends, to another episode of The Back Pain Podcast. In today's special New Year's Eve episode, we're joined by two previous guests of The Back Pain Podcast. Tom White from Salford City Chiropractic and Ricky Davis from Summit Wellbeing in London. On this episode, we chatted over some cases that we've had in clinic this week. I also gave them both some common clinical scenarios to see how they would manage them. And we also gave some advice on how you can find the right chiropractor for you. You may recognize yourself in a lot of these cases, so be sure to listen out for lots of nuggets of information which are designed to get you back on track. Now, as a reminder, if you are enjoying these or know of someone who needs to hear this information, whether that's a friend or a family member with back pain or a patient that you might be treating with back pain, please share it with them. It really helps us out. But for now, sit back and I'll leave you to enjoy the latest episode. Gentlemen, good evening, Tom. Good evening, Ricky. Good evening, Rob. I am Dave. Welcome to the Back Pain Podcast, Chiropractic Edition. How are we doing, guys? We're good. Well, absolutely. Um, fantastic. Oh, marvellous. Now, we are attempting to all join each other via Skype for this fantastic episode. So if we drop in and out, if there is a delay, uh, we'll do our best to edit it out. But I apologise in advance for the audio quality. So guys, let's get cracking. Uh, we're going to talk about some cases today. We've got four chiropractors on the line. I mean, we can't not talk about um, what we've been up to this week, right? I think that would be a, would be a good, good place to start, mate. Fantastic. Uh, who's kicking us off? I think Tom was. I think Tom uh, Tom had an interesting case this week. Yeah, so um I think we've come to the end of of uh uh treatment with someone who's been doing really well. So um uh we had a male in their 40s that that recently came to us with back pain they've had for about 5 years and uh, it very much st- started kind of gradually just building up and um they were so worried about it they just stopped doing things um, to the point where all the things that, that um, they enjoyed, they, they basically, um, uh, they basically so scared of doing them that it would cause more pain uh, that they just stopped. Uh, and after about five years, they'd had enough of it and wanted to, to seek um, some treatment uh, and thought that this was the last option coming to a chiropractor. Um, so, um, we had a chat and initial consultation and, and primarily when we're doing our history, we're making sure that we cover, um, we rule out anything that, that appears to be serious. And in this case, the patient appeared not to have anything, um, like serious at all. And then when we do an examination, you'll do things like testing range of movement and uh, go through special tests and everything appeared to be okay. Um, and when we delved a little bit deeper, um, uh, Really, um, what had happened for the patient is that they, they'd got so used to not doing stuff that their body found it difficult, basically, to, to do things. Um, so this particular patient hadn't been scuba diving for about five years, and it was their only social circle that they went to. Um, they don't care for a parent at home, um, so they don't have a lot of time to go and do social activities. And it, scuba diving was also their physical 
uh, activity that they did. So when they weren't doing it because they were scared about wearing a, a tank on the back for scuba diving because of their back pain, they, um, uh, you know, they were they losing their physical activity a week. They were losing their social activity a week. And it was it's not a nice place to be if you enjoy doing something on a regular basis and it gets taken away from you. It's, it's quite a, um, well, it's not a nice place to be. And I think that's even more prevalent this year, you know, when the year of COVID, where a lot of people are not doing things that they would normally do socially and Definitely. physically as well. Definitely. And so I think the good thing and the standout thing for me with this is that we didn't really have to change a lot of things. Um, we set some goals for the patient in terms of trying to find activities that they enjoyed doing that was away from scuba diving um, with the aim of kind of building them back up. Um, uh, so, for example, we were setting them rehab where they um, would wear a backpack to kind of mimic the uh, like demands of, of wearing a tank on their back. And um, they responded very quickly. And I had a message, uh, it was actually uh, last week, the end of last week, that they, you know, they've had their first kind of pain-free day. They've gone on a, a half an hour walk with a backpack on and there's, there's no discomfort. Um, so given the fact that I think pools are closed at the moment with COVID, but I think, you know, when we're allowed to go back and do those types of activities, I think we'll be looking at getting that patient back into the, the pool as the next step of their rehab. But to go, you know, from having pain for five years to in six weeks, bit having a pain-free walk, it's, it's pretty positive. No, that's amazing, Tom. So did the patient feel that their back pain was worse with wearing, the, wearing their scuba backpack, the scuba, scuba tank, or did they were just worried that it would make it worse, if that makes sense? Yeah, so they were just so worried that it was going to cause more back pain. They, they stopped doing it. Um, they, they got a little bit of back pain and then they, you know, one plus one equals two. They thought, I'm not going to go scuba diving um, because it might hurt it. So how did you um, show that patient? And for someone that's listening that may have an activity that, you know, gives them pain, whether that's scuba diving or golf, how did you show that patient that wearing a backpack was okay to do? So it's, it's, uh, it's what we would call kind of gradual exposure. Um, and um, we, I actually got the patient in the examination to, um, to hold a, a weight. So when we were examining them, I just said, oh, would you mind, you know, hold this for a second? And they managed to hold it no problem. And it was also, a, you know, I think you can use the examination sometimes to show patients what they can do rather than what they can't do. And some are really surprised. There'll be patients listening to your podcast that probably don't think they can touch their toes, but when you ask them to do it, they can touch their toes. So it's, you know, uh, during that examination, that's, that's what we did. And he was able to hold like a four kilogram kettlebell um, in front of him. So then we said, well, if you can hold this and possibly, you know, you'd be able to have a backpack that's a lot lighter and gradually um, add more weight to it. No, that, that's perfect. I think that's a really good message for anyone that's, that's listening, knowing that they want to do something that gives them pain. Just because you can't do that particular activity right now, you know, how, how much is a, is a diving oxygen tank weigh? You know, they're good 20, 30 kilos. They're not, they're not light. But, you know, that's the, the, the end range of it. That's the end goal to get to that. To that. Doesn't mean you, you, just because you can't do that right now, doesn't mean you'll ever not do that again or ever be able to do that again. It, 
you know, it's a little bit of gradual improvement and the getting those small wins, as you said, wearing a, a four kilo backpack, a five kilo backpack, you know, going for a walk with that on and, you know, getting up and down off the floor with that on and slowly increasing those kind of weights and challenges. That's a really good, good thing to take home, I feel. Yeah. And I think in this example, um, we've got we've got someone that's had one thing happen to them that has affected a lot of their life. It, like I said, it was their social circle. It was their their form of activity. And so one thing has has, has almost snowballed into into yeah. being a bigger health kind of problem. Um, uh, I, I'm um, I'm sure we're aware of this, but the patients might not be. But and we were taught this, you know, we were all taught this at university. But the the World Health Organization of definition of kind of health and well-being is is um, the physical, mental, and social well-being of a person, uh, and not just the absence of infirmity or disease. And that in this case is kind of really important because um, to have to lose your social, um, you know, lose your social uh, activity, lose your physical activity. And you see the, the health deteriorate in someone. Um, yeah. So no, definitely. It's, it's, it's been really positive for me because I actually, as a clinician, I didn't really have to do a lot. We, you know, a lot of it was reassurance to the patient showing them what they can do. And the patient themselves kind of did the rest. They, they went away and did the work mm. and did the exercising. What, what exercises did you give that patient? So it, ideally, we want to get them go, going into a pool because scuba diving's the ultimate uh, you know, um, goal that we've End set. End goal. We can't go in pools at the moment. It's not possible with, with COVID. Some of them are closed. And particularly because he shares equipment with someone. So we've had to make it very land-based. So we just want to build up general strength. We also want to do things that he enjoys. So he likes going for walks, particularly if it's a bit sunny. So we've done a lot of walking with a backpack. We've done squats. And that's quite useful because also you've got to get in and out of the pool. You've got to sit on the, um, the pool side with the equipment on. So this was a discussion we had in the, in the clinic of what do you need to be able to do to scuba dive and how can we kind of recreate similar type of movements and also improve general fitness? Cause this is someone that hasn't exercised for five years because of fear of it getting worse. Um, so Scott's was a big one. We gradually increased weight with him. Um, and we were doing, uh, I know you've had a podcast with Greg Lehman recently about core exercises um, so we, we've done some of those, um, I guess, for general, uh, uh, not to particularly strengthen the core, but as general exercises. But I'd group those into that. Um, and, um, you know, th- this gentleman's cardiovascular health isn't particularly great. So eventually we do want to get him swimming when, when we're allowed to do so. Good work. That's a really interesting case. Thanks for that, Tom. Um, Rick. I've got a few cases. Do you have a case which you want to go over or shall I just fire away with, with one of mine? What's up? What's best for you? I mean, I, mine is more, to be honest, like a, a group uh, of cases that I'm sure you guys have probably seen loads of as well. It's uh, it. obviously during COVID, I think a lot of people have taken up running and uh, they may not have run much uh, previously. Uh, and lots of people coming in with various different injuries, but a host of them being hip and lower backs and potentially with some referral um, down into the leg as well, knees. Um, and the, the real reason for those injuries is overload or basically going into something which your body is not ready to do. It's not strong enough to do. So going from zero to 100 far too quickly. Um, so we've been seeing a lot of that. And it would be easy just to say, right, well, 
you know, running isn't for me. That's something that um, obviously I'm not designed to do. But in reality, everyone can can run. They can do whatever sport they really want to do. But it takes time potentially to build up to that point. Running is a very high impact um, activity. So we would never have a patient come in um, after a running injury and say, you know what, running's not for you. Uh, try not doing anything because actually exercise is, has been shown to improve um, pain, improve health and, and, every, and both for a social and, and mental capacity as well. So it's about changing that load. So a lot of runners who are coming in at the moment, we're swapping to, especially coming from a cycling background, saying, how about if you can find a bike uh, during COVID times, um, swapping to cycling, which is far less impact. It puts different pressures on your body, um, allows your running injuries to heal, and then allows you to then start from a better position, a stronger position, where then you can actually um, get back into the sport that you, you, know, you really want to do. Um, so I think the most important, obviously, thing with it all is that just the takeaway for patients is that, you know, even though you might be in pain, rest or total bed rest is never what we're expecting or suggesting um, when patients come in the door. It's really trying to find out what you can do and then trying to, um, well, first of all, getting you moving in the right ways, allowing that um, sensitivity or that pain to heal, that injury to heal, and um, find you things that are going to strengthen you up so you can get back to where you want to be. So that's a really similar message to Tom's, you know, exactly. in terms of it's about finding out what, are, what you know, people listening, finding out what you can do, you know, just because one particular exercise hurts doesn't mean you can't do all exercise. So it's finding something that works for you. And that's where we come in as therapists. And that can be your chiropractor, your physiotherapist, your osteopath, your GP. The goal of their, their goal is to find things that you can do and then help develop your strength and resilience around that particular exercise, I guess. And that's kind of, you know, highlights that whether that's a scuba diver or whether that's a runner, you know, it's yeah. a scuba diver becomes walking with a backpack and running becomes cycling to get that kind of leg movement and that leg strength. You know, that's, that's yeah. a really Patients good, are good message. Patients are good at healing themselves, but what we're good at is trying to highlight where the issue is and directing that patient to um, basically the right, the right um, solutions. So Ricky, when you're like gradually increasing like a, a runner's load, are you suggesting to them that they increase the distance, the time running, the intensity? Like what would be for someone that's not run for, let's say two or three years and they've picked it up, what would be your advice to them? Is, is first of all, finding out what their running knowledge is to, to begin with and what their previous running history is. I mean, to give you an example, um, the, one of the, the starting points of a lot of back to run programs would be a one minute on, which is one minute jogging, um, one minute off, which is one minute walking for 10 to 15 minutes, depending on what that person has done before. And that might actually be too much for a lot of people. But it's also highlighting things like cadence. And a lot of people think, you know, what the hell is cadence when we start talking about that? It's essentially the amount of times your feet hit the floor in one minute. And if a person has not been thinking about their cadence and potentially their cadence is a little bit low, so they might be running at 150 or 160 cadence, which would be a fairly low, um, 
a low cadence or at least your, your feet are hitting the floor less times per minute. Um, what we're aiming to do is tr try and um, open their eyes to that kind of stuff so that they can then think about, okay, so maybe if I increase my cadence, which up would be normally around 170, 175 potentially, um, that actually might reduce my um, potential for injury. It might also speed up my running. So it's thinking about certain things as well, not just beginning at a very small amount and then increasing 10% a week, which would be a normal thing, um, but also thinking about other things, running technique, um, especially if they haven't been thinking about that before. Oh, perfect. No, thank you, Rick. So that's, and I think we've spoken before about the Couch to 5K programs, and those are very similar in that kind of run-walk strategy where it's run for a minute, walk for 30 seconds, or walk for a minute, and it's adaptable to you, whether you do that over 12 weeks, 10 weeks, or eight weeks, I think, you know, various different programs. So another good one. Tom, you had a, a, a comeback on that. I think we. I get asked, I don't know about you guys in, in clinic, about different surfaces, um, you know, what to run on, because um, there'll be people that can run on the beach, in, on sand, on tarmac, on, on grass. Um, what, what's your advice for them? When they're so starting I, to run, what's what's the easiest kind of? Um, um, I asked Brad reference. Brad Beer this on our running episode. Um, uh, spoke to him. So Brad Beer is, is a. If you look back on, I think episode seven, um, he's a running specialist physiotherapist, and I asked him this question about running surfaces. Um, and I've always advised people to run on softer surfaces initially, which he said was incorrect. Um, he said you get far more reaction force on a harder surface, so people will actually have a you know less chance of injury building up on a harder surface than running on a softer surface. Um, you lose grip, you, you know, a lot of that impact goes into the floor. You have to then work a little bit harder relatively. And I'm, you know, bastardizing his words slightly, but, uh, you know, give or take, but he said, no, starting on, on a firmer surface to start with, um, is, is, is better. Rick, is that generally what you advise? Yeah. I think just with, with running, it's just, you know, it is the highest, peak forces that can go through an Achilles, a foot, uh, a calf, a knee, just purely because you are eccentric loading, you are absorbing impact from the road, whether that is tarmac or um, if, if it's a, a running machine, it's potentially 30% less impact or something equivalent, but it's all the same because you're going from um, an eccentric load to a concentric load, which means you're just basically exploding off of your toes absorbing impact and exploding so it's always going to be higher impact than something like cycling or swimming um no. so it it tends to be the one that generates a lot of uh especially early on injuries amazing thanks rick so one thing I'd, I'd like to move on to now was giving you guys a couple of scenarios some very kind of scenarios that we see in our back pain support group the back pain and sciatica support group on facebook a lot of the similar clinical scenarios that we see every day um, that people post about with their troubles, their worries, um, you know, help me of, you know, got these, these, you know, life changing pains. So I'd like to put a couple of scenarios out there and just kind of see for someone that might never have been to a chiropractor before um, or has never even heard of what a chiropractor does. Um, give you a few scenarios and you address kind of, you know, what would be the first steps you would take? And obviously this is very general. So this doesn't count for kind of medical advice. So um, in a kind of general specific terms. So, if I put kind of patient number one to you, and let's call her Mrs. Smith. Mrs. Smith is 45, um, and she's had kind of a gradual onset of lower back pain, and has noticed this started has kind of started to creep down into kind of her, her buttock, 
down her right leg and she has a little bit of pins and needles in her toes. This pain is pretty severe. She can't really move much. She's given up a lot of her hobbies. I know we've kind of touched on that a bit before. Um, she can't bend down. Bending forward is really quite sore. Um, it's really sore in the mornings, really stiff. It does loosen off a little bit when she walks, but she's quite fearful of walking. How, what would you, how would you kind of approach that as a chiropractor? Um, you know, is there any difference to how you'd approach that to how a physiotherapist would approach it? Um, Tom, do you want to start with that one? So I work in a, a multidisciplinary clinic. So that means I've got chiropractors, osteopaths, physios. Um, we've got sports therapists here as well. Uh, I, I think that we would all approach that very similar. Um, it could be that a lot of these symptoms are um, nothing to particularly worry about. But there's a possibility that we could be having referral from something a little bit more, a little bit more problematic. So, again, I think I mentioned this earlier in in the, in the pod. But when we're we're taking a history and assessing someone and doing an examination, we want to um, see if they can do normal ranges of movement, and if it causes pain, we'll do special tests to to rule certain things in and out. And we might do things like strength testing test your reflexes, test your ability to sense, uh, you know, we, we do this thing called soft and sharp where you, you're testing the patient's ability. And we do this often in the feet, um, to, to like, uh, to sense a cocktail stick or a sharp sensation, and a soft one. And so the first thing really is making sure we rule out anything that is of, uh, it's what we call uh, red flags in the business is rule out anything that we're concerned with. Um, and I'll be honest, this type of scenario presents a lot to the, to the clinic. And I would say very little of them are what we would call a radiculopathy or, um, like referral from, uh, from a nerve problem. And a lot of people come in saying, I think I've got sciatica when in fact, a lot of the pain going to their bum or down the leg is, is pain coming from a, a, a muscle or a joint. And so I think that's the first step really into, into establishing what's going on is, is it something more serious or is it something that, you know, with uh, a variety of different treatments, we could, uh, you know, a more mechanical cause. So then, so assuming this patient has nothing, you know, none of those red flags, nothing kind of serious, and you're thinking it's kind of more muscle joint or kind of possibly a little bit of referred kind of nerve pain and that sciatica or all that kind of what we call lumbar radicular pain or radiculopathy without going you don't kind of have to go into specifics about kind of diagnosis because that's probably a little bit beyond <laughs> beyond doing this over zoom but you know what you know as a chiropractor um and you've got your examination what do you kind of then what's your kind of next steps once you kind of explain to her what's going on do you do chiropractors typically treat people on the first session do they give them exercises do they massage you know what, what's the kind of you know what's your approach so I have 60 minutes for my initial consultation. And so we try to do some form of treatment on the first session. Um, I would say probably 90, 95% plus where we do treatment on the first session. And in most cases, uh, if we're not doing treatment, it's because we need to refer out or we've talked for a very long time and, and we just don't have uh, some complex cases, just don't have time. Um, um, I'm usually, I have this software that we, we send patients exercises on most, the majority of cases, again, I'm sending patients exercises on the first session or at least giving them advice on what we can do. Um, but I don't think that varies between anyone in my practice. We all, the osteopath, the chiropractor, the physio, we all have 60 minute initial consultations. 
um, that we do treatment in. And I guess um, we probably spend 15 minutes having the doing the history at the start. We probably spend 15 minutes doing the examination, maybe a little bit less if it's a, if it's less complicated. Uh, 15 minutes probably having a discussion about what's going on and then the strategy that we're going to implement to get you better. And then probably about 15 minutes of treatment, whether that be setting the rehab or or some, um, you know, any kind of hands-on hands on work. That, that, that's how I practice anyway. Yeah. Rick, is that a pretty similar approach to how you would approach a similar patient? Absolutely. Um, we'd always, yeah, in, in the majority of cases, especially if we're not having any significant um, neural uh, signs where you, you're, you're not having any significant weakness, um, any long-term pain, any bilateral symptoms, which means pain down both legs. As long as that's not the case and we think it's safe to treat, we do. Um, and especially to begin with, a lot of that first session, that treatment will be education. So it's discussing with the patient exactly what we think is going on and why they shouldn't be worried. Um, I think that initially is a big thing for a lot of people. It's understanding what exactly is going on and that they shouldn't fear their pain. Um, the idea that they can do certain things and it not aggravate their symptoms, it not make things worse and it not create um, more um, physical damage, if that makes sense. Um, and from that point, we find a basis of what can this person do? Are you able to do these exercises that I'd like you to do? These might be simple nerve dynamic exercises where we're all we're doing is we're just gliding a nerve we're just moving the nerve because that will over time desensitize things um what have you been doing day to day that might have led to you having this sensitization and if we pick up that you've been doing something significant that we think might have been uh linked to your pain then we can coach you on trying to change those things and that might be posture it might be technique in sport it, it, there's, it can be a whole host of different things but Initially, in that first treatment, yes, we'll do some hands-on, and that might be needling, um, manipulation, or soft tissue, or massage. It, there's a load of different things that we do, but a lot of that initial appointment is education, and then putting that in writing to them as well. So just having that there, so you can properly understand it, and if that person has any questions, then they can get back to us. That's so important. And uh, the sorry, Tom, I'll let, I'll let you come in a sec. The um, supporting the education, and often people think that they go to someone like us to be fixed, um, and that's a bit of a fallacy that you know a lot of patients have. They they think they go to see a physiotherapist or an osteopath or a chiropractor or a GP and expect to walk out better. There's no mechanical treatment that cures pain instantly. Does it? It doesn't work like that. The you know any any hands-on treatment, whether that's education, advice, massage, manipulation, is a short-term tool to allow you to function a bit better, to allow you to move better, to give you a bit of confidence in your body. And then you are slightly more likely to do some exercises, to go for a little bit of walk. So, you know, it's that mechanical painkiller, really, isn't it, that, uh, that helps you kind of move a bit more and, and, and get, on your, get on with your life a bit. And that, Come on, Rob, you fix you... someone in one session. You're, you're, oh, yeah. you're that good. Oh, of course we are. Of course we are. <laughs> but <laughs> I that always do that. <laughs> that education is so important, isn't it? And, you know, that, that is almost as important as anything else or it is as important as anything else that lifestyle advice about what you can do what you maybe possibly should avoid for the short term 
you know, what will aggravate this, what will make it better. That advice is so important. Tom, what were you going to come back with? Well, I, I think the, the main thing for patients that are listening is we actually like it when you have questions. So at the end, when we're having discussion, I always say, do you have any other questions? And because I'm often surprised sometimes at some of the the questions they do have. And we we might have covered it previously in the session, but it's a lot to take in in a first session. So if you're, you know, having a consultation, ask as many questions as you need. Like it's better for us as clinicians to for you to know exactly what the plan is and what we're going to do about it. Because there are times when patients go away and uh, we say, have you, you know, do you have any questions? And they go, no, no problem. And they come back next week and they go, uh, what was it you said about this? What was it you said about this? And, um, you know, that's what Ricky pointed out that he put stuff down in writing. And, and we do the same when we send them the exercise on the app. And I think that's really useful, but, but we can't write everything we've said in the session. So we it goes to, there's, there's nothing such as a stupid question, like ask as many questions as you need in the consult. So we do something called the, the I forgot what it's called, the partner test or the husband or wife test or something like that as well. And at the end of the session, I often say to patients, it's something which as patients listening, I recommend that you, you test out. And you say, I say to patients, so when you get home and your mother, partner, friend, whoever says, what's wrong with you, what are you going to say to them? Or what's the problem? What are you going to say to them? And if they can't repeat it back to you in kind of an easy five to 10 seconds, then you haven't explained it well enough. Um, and that's it. And sometimes I hear some weird and wonderful things that the patient comes back with, but that's, that's not the patient's fault. That's my fault for not explaining it right. Um, and, you know, if they, if they can't reiterate to me that, you know, this, this simple problem that's going to be fixed the next amount of time and I have to do X, Y, and Z to help it, then, you know, and it's not that simple, then, then I've, I've done my job wrong. So I'd recommend, you know, if you're a therapist listening, you know, try the, uh, I think it's called the partner test. Um, I said uh, Peter O'Sullivan from Australia uses it. I think it's the first person I uh, heard, heard use it. But that's a, that's a good one. Rick, if I can ask you then, if a patient has kind of, you know, that, if we call it radicular pain, that kind of nerve pain that's shooting down that leg compared to if they don't and you think it's kind of nerve pain versus muscle and joint pain, as a chiropractor, does kind of treatment differ a bit, you know, in terms of what you would offer for that patient? Uh, yes. Yeah, I would say it, we would, especially if there's radicular pain in, in a leg, we would most likely be starting a little bit more cautiously. We would potentially have more of a, especially in the first treatment or two, some trial sessions, um, focusing more on uh, more of a, of a rehab mobility program alongside some more um, gentle mobilization, soft tissues, dry needling potentially. Because if we go too firm over a sensitized nerve, um, there is the potential that we flare that up and, and well, not only lose the patient's trust, but um, potentially, you know, put you in a worse position than you were before. So we would probably approach it with a little bit more caution and put a little bit more emphasis on um, the patient doing the right things. Um, for just general lower back pain, I think we'd be more likely to be doing some manual therapy, um, helping that person move, especially if it's um, more on the less less acute side, because really in, in the majority of those, case, those cases, it's movement um, that is going to help them and chiropractic manip manipulation, uh, mobilization, soft tissue treatments, that kind of stuff will all be really useful for that stretching. Um, it's just if someone has a significant nerve pain, it's 
potentially, especially in the early days, focusing on a specific set of things um, and then progressing on to um, what I've just mentioned uh, a little bit later on when that nerve pain has died down. Does that, would that be the same for you? Yeah, I mean, yeah, very similarly. You know, a lot of my treatment will be dictated a lot on um, the patient's beliefs and kind of thoughts and fears and worries. And, you know, if they have a, you know, particular belief about one thing that's going to help them, um, you know, it would be remiss of me just to completely brush that aside and and, and say it's not, you know, so I, I take on, to, on, on board patients' kind of fears and beliefs. There's no one treatment for everyone. Um, all treatments are, are are tailored, whether that's an education approach with an exercise approach or it's a manual therapy approach. Um, you know, so if you're going to someone and, you know, the same thing's happen to, happening to you every single time, then possibly reconsider that, um, you know, reconsider your options um but you know treatment should be tailored uh kind of to the patient and i think tom you would agree well i I think everyone would agree with that you know what what, you know what you do to one person is very different you do to your second person to your third to your fourth to your fifth to your sixth of that day yeah and i think you hear lots of patients say i referred this friend to you this friend and and sometimes people come with an expectation of what's going to happen and it's a conversation especially seeing a chiropractor yeah Definitely. And sometimes it's a really difficult question to answer on the phone of, you know, um, um, what's, you know, what's going to happen? How many sessions am I going to have? Like, these are all individual things. And, and just because chiropractors are known for spinal manipulation, like historically, it doesn't necessarily mean that's the thing that you're going to have. And we have a lot of patients saying, oh, I was worried to come in because I, I don't really want that. And it's a collaborative approach the the people that are um you know therapists that are in front of you are there to to help guide you and and be like a team member of you getting better it's not just they say this is what we do to get you better it's it's a decision between both of you so it always varies no that's also also what we'd be doing as well is you know an important question is asking that patient what has helped you before because in a lot a lot of patients um, if manipulation has helped them previously, then there's a, a good likelihood if that is the same sort of pain, the same, the same issue, that that treatment type will help them. Um, some people hate dry needling. Some people respond really well to dry needling. So the, I think a really important question would be, what has helped you previously? And can we incorporate that into your treatment? And if you're going to see someone who is giving you a totally different treatment and not really listening to what um, what's happened in the past, um, then I would, then I'd question that exactly the same for you. Yeah. And it's, it's, me, it's meeting the, you know, the, the person in pain at their point as well is coming to meet their goals. As he said, their goals might not be plausible. They might want something they might, you know, want, we've all had patients that come to see us who just want you to, you know, pop something back into place and it's not appropriate for that patient. You know, it might not be appropriate to do manipulation. It might be appropriate, but you know, you might feel it's not appropriate at that particular time. Um, you know, but you have you you meet them halfway. Um, you know, so you have that discussion as to what, when, and what, whether that's not appropriate. You know, whether that's massage or they want to do a certain exercise which you feel just aggravates every time, or they want to do a lot which causes a lot of pain, and you think actually, no, we're, we're going to dial back on that. Or they might have a you know a, a stress fracture, you know, it, in you know in their pelvis or their hip, just giving them a lot of pain, and they want to carry on running. Sometimes you do have to have these hard conversations that you say, no, it's not appropriate to do that right now. So yeah, it's, it's meeting the patients and managing their thoughts, fears, and, and expectations. I, I guess, Tom. Well, I think on that point that Ricky's made, it's also important that 
it's not always just because the pain feels very similar. It isn't always the case that that is the same problem. And so that's where the detailed examination, although it might be quite frustrating for a patient that's seen another practitioner before, feels they have the same thing and then goes to another practitioner, you know, like a chiropractor, we get it a lot in chiropractic, where they, they've been and had some manipulations and made the back feel better. They've had a similar type pain and they go to another chiropractor, maybe because they've moved or, you know, they, they, the, the chiropractor moved away. And then they don't get what they've, you know, they don't get the same treatment. It could be that the chiropractor has, has noticed something else that, you know, because some people might not have seen a chiropractor for 20 years. So if, if you're going to a chiropractor 20 years later, um, you're 20 years older, there's other things that have happened, you know, back then you might have been 40, now you're 60. We might, approach it moved on. We, we might be a bit more gentle in our approach than, um, so that's a regular thing we get where people expect the same thing and it isn't always what we're going to do. And, and um, that's where our, um, also patients filling out forms. Like it's really important that we have as much information as possible. Some people that have been to people previously have, uh, you know, that they, they don't fill out forms as in depth as they might do if, of someone that's never been to see someone because they're a bit blase about going. They think they're going to expect something. And so that's one advice I'd give to patients that are listening is if you do go see somebody give us as much information as possible. We'd rather have more information than, than how many times has someone put, they've got no, you know, no medical history. And then uh, I think it's you, Rob, where you had a, a, an amputee um, uh, present to you, you know, and he was like, oh, no, yes, I, no, I, well, not an amputee. I, I had a GP who said they'd had no surgeries or hospitalizations ever. And then uh, this particular patient took, took their shirt off and had a huge scar running from kind of the base of their neck to the base of their spine. And they'd had some rods inserted into their spine about 20 years ago and had completely forgotten it. So this is it. So yeah. <laughs> those forms are so important to fill out. And that's probably, the clinician will ask questions as well. And we try and be as thorough with that. But the more information we have, it's at the end of the day, it's your health. And we'd rather have the full body of information to make decisions on your health. So if someone is wanting to go and see a chiropractor, for anyone listening, and they are unsure or a little bit scared or unsure what to expect or kind of want to make sure they're A, finding the right person and B, they're being taken care of, what should they look out for um, when they're kind of searching for, for someone to go and see? Who wants to take that question? Well, um, uh, I'm a member of the BCA, so the British Chiropractic Association, and you can you can check. Um, there's like a finder for chi- for chiropractors there that you can uh, see who's in your local vicinity. Um, so if if they're a BCA chiropractor, they're going to be registered with the GCC, which is our um, uh, governing body. Um, and um, if you're worried about it, most chiropractors will uh, will often have a, a quick chat with you. So you don't always need to go in for initial consultation if you're not so sure. Most chiropractors will quite gladly offer a, a conversation on the phone at the moment, obviously with COVID or even like a 10-minute, my clinic, we have a 10-minute consultation that you can come in and have a chat to see if it's something you think is suitable. Um, that would be my best advice. Um, is, is that the same for you, Ricky? Yeah, I'd say it's, it's always very, it's, it's quite difficult to tell often by, by a website, isn't it? And it's, I think, first of all, it's recommendation. So ask your friends if someone's been helped before, then um, it's, it's always a good place to start. Um, a lot of chiropractors are different. A lot of physios are different. A lot of osteopaths are different. So you might find that 
one works well for you and another another might not. So I think the most important thing would be go to a, a clinician who seems to have a well-rounded approach. They're offering potentially a multitude of different treatments, maybe in a multidisciplinary setting, because in those settings, uh, you seem to have a, a, a good amount of uh, practitioner sort of cross-pollination where you, you have lots of information, lots of different treatment types. And because human beings are all different and they will respond to different treatments, it's, it's good to be able to um, be in a position where you can be offered those. So I think that would be sort of my takeaway is that just look for someone who's going to give you a well-rounded um, treatment approach and potentially multiple treatment types. Yeah, I think that's it. And, and that's a good message to, to kind of finish up with, you know, whoever you are seeing, there are similar traits to look out for. And it's making sure that they are telling you what's going on. You know, yeah. they're not, you know, telling you this is going to be a lifelong problem to fix. They're telling you what's going on and they're giving you the tools to help yourself. And I think that's the key. Yeah. You're not going into every session hoping to be fixed and then walking out of there with nothing else to do at home. Right. It's the lifestyle advice. It's the stuff to do at home. It's the, the exercises, making sure that that is happening for you, Tom. Yeah. And if you leave feeling fearful, then that's that's a red flag. You yeah. you should be you you should leave feeling comforted, or at least educated, and uh, going in the right direction. Yeah, definitely, Tom. I think my motto really, when it comes to me referring to other clinicians, is I'm looking for someone that is going to build resiliency in my patients rather than reliancy. Um, and so that that's really something um, uh, to think of is is um, are you the one that's going to be con- to be able to control uh, the pain rather than have someone else in control of it? Um, so resiliency over reliancy. They should be helping you achieve your goals, not be the reason you know the only reason why you're achieving your goals. Brilliant. That's a, a fantastic message, I think, to end on. So thank you for joining us, Tom and Rick and Dave. I think Dave's had a bit of a, a Skype problem. So Dave, Dave's, been, Dave's been in and out. So he's either listening to this in super slow motion or he's listening to this on 10 times speed to try and catch up. So Dave, if you're listening, you can uh, enjoy this one later. So Tom and Rick, thanks so much for joining us. Um, it's actually New Year's Eve now uh, for anyone that's listening to this live. This episode will be live on New Year's Eve. So, uh, you know, for anyone that isn't out at a party, because there are all parties have been cancelled this year, they can sit at home and enjoy this episode of the Back Pain Podcast. I can't so, think of any better way to spend my New Year's Eve than listening to the Back Pain Podcast. Listening to us for, I know exactly right. So, Rick, thanks very much for joining us, mate. No worries. Anytime. Tom, so thanks, Tom. And again, thanks for you for joining us, mate. No, let's, let's hope 2021 is a better year than 2020, eh? I'm sure we should just we should just depress reset on 2020. I think shouldn't we, and, and start again on January the first. Sounds good to me. Fantastic. Well, thanks, thanks guys. Thank you everyone for listening. Take care. It's been a great. It's been, oh, it has, I was about to say it's been a great year. It's been an interesting year. Enjoy 2020 out. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>